We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Ace is a place with the helpful hardware, folks. At Ace, your backyard's right in our backyard, which means we have hand-picked products that are right for the birds in your neighborhood, like premium bird seed, suet, birdhouses, and feeders. Stop by your local Ace and get everything you need to attract the birds you want, including Ace Wild Bird Food, on sale now. Now through Tuesday only, when you buy two 20-pound bags of wild bird food, get a third bag free, only at Ace, the helpful place. Offer valid through February 28th at participating stores. Welcome to the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast, brought to you by NoHalftime.com. Derek Van Riper, joined today by Nick Whalen. If you're listening to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher, it could take a few moments to leave us a nice review. We'd greatly appreciate that. Uh, we've got a lot to get to. We've got a week two preview. Before we even start to break down the 16 games on the schedule this week, I have to ask Nick, how's the book coming along? Hot Tubs of Duval, future ebook mm-hmm. sensation, probably going to tear up Amazon in the very near future, did you get a good, a lot of good material for the book? 
I got some material. Thanks for asking about the book. It's coming along. Um, you know, as I revealed on the last podcast, I was actually in Duval in Jacksonville for the Packers at Jags game on Sunday. It did not go my way, but still was a fun game. Uh, an interesting atmosphere, about as rowdy as I expected, but they kept advertising, you know, all week it was a sellout, it was going to be this huge game, and the stadium was maybe 80% full. Uh, maybe mm. it was, you know, maybe they sold all the tickets, but not everybody showed up. It was extremely warm. Uh, I scored a free Jaguars hat, actually, because of the warmth. A Packers fan sitting next to me had to, it was so warm that he had to go buy a hat to cover his face, and he basically <laughs> didn't want to be seen in this Jaguars hat, so he just gave it to me uh, after the game. So, uh, to answer your original question, I only sat in one hot tub. It was in Orlando. Um, it's remarkably cheaper mm. to fly from Milwaukee to Orlando than it is straight into Jacksonville for whatever reason, despite Jacksonville being the much bigger city. It's like 500,000 people bigger than Orlando, which I didn't realize. Um, so we had to fly fly into Orlando, uh, stayed there one night, and then drove up to Jacksonville the next day. But the Orlando hot tub was not good. I think I gave it, what, a 3.5? You dropped a 3.5 out of 10, yeah, on Twitter. You know, I'm not going to drag the hotel's name into this, partially because I don't even remember what it was. That's good. Um, but it was clean. You know, the, the pool area was nice. It closed at 10 p.m., which that's strike one, 10 p.m. Like, I don't want to go in a hot tub before 10 p.m. In, in the first place. But yeah. you know, I had to go. I checked it out the following morning before we left. The water temperature was way too low, probably a good 5 to 10 degrees too low. I was only in there. I was only able to take it really for about 10 minutes. Um, so not a positive experience. I'll be writing about it in the book. So there'll be a, a much more detailed breakdown in there. All right. Look for that on Amazon. Hopefully within the next couple of weeks, uh, ebook, nice on the Kindle especially. Mm-hmm. should be nice, easy reading for yeah, your own. Yeah, we're working on a paperback, time. but we'll see. Yeah, paperback is is tough these days. The cost of printing has Mm -hmm. gone through the roof. Now, uh, the atmosphere in Duval, I mean, uh, as you said, a rumored sellout, but not actually full, not not a capacity whatsoever. You've got the two pools in the stadium. Uh, They showed those pools multiple times because Mm -hmm. that's the attraction, I guess, of of the stadium. it is, yeah. It looked like it was... um, it was not like a balanced group of fans. It was a very male-centric group of fans in the yes. pool, which, you know, whatever. If that's your that's your jam, then then go that route. But I, I just I wonder, is this ever a ruckus environment in terms of the Jags fans showing up and actually being like amped up for a game? Oh, because yeah. I, it looked like there were a ton of Packer fans. Yeah, at there this were. Game. There were more. There were more Packer fans than I expected. And obviously, Green Bay travels well, and we went. Uh, the night before the game, we went to a, a Packers tailgate party because the people that I went to the game with were all Packers fans, so I had to get dragged to that. Uh, I wore a Wisconsin Badgers shirt to that party to kind of stay neutral, and the Badgers were playing on that Saturday, so that worked out okay. But I was basically the only person there not in yellow or green, and that was pretty much the same when we got to the stadium. We, we tailgated for a little bit. It was about 50-50 at that point. Uh, saw a lot of bizarre jerseys, a lot of a lot of Patriots jerseys. Why? A couple people that we talked to said, um, I, we, this was in Orlando, we were at a restaurant, and I asked a couple people, you know, who do you root for here? Is it Tampa Bay? Is it Jacksonville? Is it Miami? And then I think maybe three out of the five people I asked said it was a Patriots town. Somehow. Yeah. Well, here's what happens. I think a lot of people from New York and Boston retire to Florida, and then if they stay there and their kids, like, move with them, they just have these ties to – Cold weather teams, essentially, and you have a you have a budding dynasty right in your backyard. 
and you're not rooting for this Jaguars well, team. They'll, they'll, they'll be bandwagoners. They'll, yeah. they'll get on board soon mm-hmm. enough. I mean, the same thing happens in Arizona. You go to Arizona, you don't find that many Cardinals fans and D-backs fans. You find yeah. fans of like every other team, a lot of right. Dodgers and Giants fans in baseball and in football. You're going to get a lot of Cowboys fans too because yep. before that team was in Arizona, Dallas, I think, was the, the closest team that was good. So mm-hmm. that was a big part of that fan base really kind of growing. But anyway... Diving into this week two slate, we got the Thursday game on tap. I believe it's the first color rush game of the season, so we got that to look forward to. Avert your eyes, uh, adjust the tint on the TV. Can you still do that? It used to be a knob for tint on the front of the TV, like in the 80s. Uh, yeah, I don't know what kind of TV you have, but no, mine does not have that knob. It, it, it's not a knob for it anymore, but I think on the remote, there's a, there's a setting mm-hmm. for it. You can alter the colors. Actually, you just, you just do a general like change, like... I'm playing Halo or I'm watching football and you just like adjust based on what you're doing as opposed to like having to adjust the tint from zero to 100. They have and they don't even have tuners in them anymore, which is bad because I'm cheap and I Mm -hmm. I don't want to pay for much TV. So that's going to be a problem in the near future. Just a heads up for my latest Costco run. Uh, This game is going to be a struggle for a lot of different reasons. The way it lines up, Jets at Bills. Bills one-point underdogs, I think that's ridiculous. I think the Jets are a much better team. Sammy Watkins probably going to play, but we don't know where he's at health-wise. There was a report earlier this week that his surgically repaired foot was still bothering him, that he might even miss the season at some point if he goes down. So that's kind of just lingering in the background. The Bills' offense looked awful against Baltimore in Week 1. The Bills' defense, to me, could be fine. I mean, they didn't get shredded by Baltimore, but that's not a good enough offensive test. Nevertheless, I look at the Jets as the team that come away not only winning this game, but winning it by a significant margin. The implied score is only 21-20 because the over-under is low. I see the Jets winning this game like 27-13 or something along those lines. Yeah, I mean, this Bills offense didn't look good in week one, and there's really no reason to think they're going to look any better when their best wide receiver and arguably their their highest upside offensive player is already banged up. It's such a weird situation. I mean, we don't even know if Sammy Watkins is going to play in this game. I believe he's still listed as questionable uh, as of Thursday morning. But, I mean, at, at this point, it's more of a a re-injury risk, I guess, or an overuse type of risk. I mean, it, it seemed like the Bills had implied – after Sunday's game that it was a matter of pain tolerance but you know obviously there has to be an underlying issue there yeah he's got hardware in his foot I mean that's that's the biggest problem Uh, and he gets the matchup against Darrell Revis now Revis might not be Revis Island Revis anymore which is fine players age they change it doesn't mean he's crap I mean AJ Green is really good so getting torched by one of the league's top five top seven receivers doesn't mean that Darrell Revis can't play anymore. The problem is, even if he shuts down Sammy Watkins this week, unless Watkins is clearly slowed down by the injury, you're just not going to have a really good gauge of of where Revis is at for at least another couple of weeks. And I don't know. Like I, I think the Jets' defense as a whole is good enough to make a, an average or much below average offense if Watkins is out, right. make an offense like that look silly. Yeah, I mean, I still like LaShawn McCoy just because I think the volume's going to have to be there by default, but I'm worried about Sammy Watkins, and then especially in our, our stake league, he's kind of my, my number one slash number two receiver Ooh. in that league. I just put up the fewest points in week one. Uh, things are not looking good. I think I'm starting Tavon Austin as my third receiver this week. Um, so, I mean, if you're a Sammy Watkins owner, obviously this is a complete disaster scenario. Yeah, Tavon Austin. I mean, it's going to be a big week for you. The weird thing is we're going to talk about that game in a bit. 
he's such a feast or famine player and yeah. he's so explosive he could just score a long TD this week and it could be totally fine right. and that's part of the well, narrative I'm choosing between him and close. Devontae Adams so I'll, I'll use this as a little bit of an advice uh, uh, minute here yeah. yeah Nick and Madison wants to know if he should play right. Tavon Austin or Devontae Adams this week uh, I, gotta, I gotta sit on that one a bit longer and okay. I'll get back to you as we get to those previews uh, let's go to the Niners and Panthers I mean this is a game where we're gonna find out how bad San Francisco is we had no indication that they're bad at all against San Francisco or against the, the Rams rather San Francisco's offense didn't look that good Blaine Gabbert was below five yards per attempt Carlos Hyde was below four yards per carry and yet they won by 28 and shut out the Rams so maybe defensively this is a team that we underestimated coming into the season uh, Cam Newton apparently fine after a few shots to the head last Thursday against Denver so he'll be good to go for this one I mean the implied score is 30-16 Panthers and Seems about right. That's probably about right. And I'm just trying know, to figure out how how is how how will the Niners score 16 that's points against Carolina? Yeah. I don't defense. know if they get to. Yeah, I don't know if Carolina gets the 30. I think they can. I don't know. I don't think you know San Francisco is getting to 16. Although Chip Kelly has somehow found a way to turn Blaine Gabbard into basically 2008 Dennis Dixon. Where was this <laughs> rushing? Where was this rushing ability whatsoever in Jacksonville? Yeah, I don't I mean, know. And it wasn't just week one. You know, Gabbert was running, you know, the second half of 2015 as well. Yeah, you got to give Jim Tomasulo the credit for that because I think he's the one who saw the true potential in Blaine Gabbert so. and started to unearth it. So it's a visionary. I, 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 just, I don't, unless they get a special teams touchdown or defensive touchdown, no, especially, I, mean, I think I would take the Panthers even giving up 13 right. and I know, a half. 13 and a half is so yeah, it's we, a huge. We're number. in the spread league. You know, 13 and a half, it makes you consider no matter who the opponent is. But I think this is the week, you know, it's in Carolina. Carolina is coming off of too. a loss. Yeah, I think this is, the, I mean, they could come out and win this 45 to 6, and I don't think that would surprise really anybody. Right. So I'm looking at it. I think Carolina can do better than the implied score even suggests. Yes. I underestimated Kelvin Benjamin uh, to begin the season thanks to Riverboat Ron's nonsense about snap limits. I just didn't, I didn't expect that to be uh, the way they'd used him. The way they he's did a good football and player. He is good, and he uses his body really well. He's not a burner, but he's just a big target for Cam. And I thought we were going to see maybe some switcheroo where Devin Funches did some of the things that Kelvin Benjamin did as a rookie, and there's no indication, at least based on how they matched up with Denver, of that being the plan at this time so yeah I'm, I'm going Panthers in this one even giving up the 13 and a half and as far as San Francisco's fantasy options go I mean Jeremy Curley's been picked up in a lot of my PPR leagues and maybe he's the top wide out there volume wise but I don't want to have to rely on him I mean like that I don't want to go down that road and I don't trust Torrey Smith at this point because the volume wasn't there at all and if they're playing catch up sure I mean that's a possibility maybe we see some things change a bit because they're protecting the lead that nobody really expected them to have on Monday night, but I don't want to use any San Francisco yeah. players outside of maybe Carlos Hyde, and even then, this matchup could be a bad one for him. I mean, it's easy to, I think we're going to look back and see 11 targets for Jeremy Curley in week one, and that's probably going to be the high for the season. Uh, but I mean, he, he was the best receiver on the field by a pretty good margin in that game. Uh, I mean, does it change your opinion at all that in his profile picture on ESPN.com, he's wearing a nose ring? That doesn't hurt him or help him I'm, I'm yeah, not I don't, it doesn't move the needle for me yeah I, I don't really care if you want to have a nose ring mm-hmm. or good for you uh if you, if yep. you think they're stupid I don't think that's a bad take okay. but teach their own you know okay have you ever thought about a nose ring for yourself no really yes really I'm surprised you think I'd be a nose ring guy I feel like that's offensive I feel like seventh grade you would have oh. been like yeah nose rings nose rings no maybe maybe earrings but even then I'm like 
deathly, deathly, deathly afraid of needles and like sharp objects. So there's no way. Oh, so you would have gone like a, like a rapper, like an earring, like a diamond stud, just right. something like that. Yeah. I mean, you know, Mike Jones type of situation. I was more of a grill guy than an earring guy. Yeah. Yeah. You are kind of into the grills. That doesn't, that doesn't involve any piercing of body parts. Makes sense. Let's move on to the Ravens and Browns. Hopefully no piercings in this one. Uh, Ravens implied winners at 25-18 based I on the we were going to get a Bernard Pierce pun or something coming up. I forgot about Bernard yeah, Pierce. Yeah, I don't think that, he's on the roster. That would have been really great if he still was. Could have slammed that one down, uh, too, if I'd thought of it at the time. Ravens, I mean, I think they're the better team. I think the interesting thing about Cleveland is that Robert Griffin's hurt, so the offense changes. We saw Josh McCowan last year build up that rapport with Gary Barnage. Barnage really was a ghost in the game plan last week, but I think that changes uh, in short order here in Week 2. I'm just not ready to bury Cleveland yet. I think there's enough talent on that offense where they can hang around, at least against a team like Baltimore. Maybe Philadelphia's defense is better than we realized. I don't know why I want to make excuses for the Browns, but I just want this to work. I want Hugh Jackson to be a good head coach, at least one that has an offense in in Cleveland that's competent week in and week out. The running back situation is still not good. Duke Johnson's not going to return kicks this week, which I think bodes well for his usage pattern in the offense. Am I wrong to think that the Browns getting seven at home can at least keep it closer than that, even if they lose? I think they lose this game. I think they can keep it within seven. I, mean, I don't love Baltimore, but it depends how you view Josh McCown, I guess. I mean, if you're not an RG3 guy and you think this is maybe an upgrade for the Browns, then I, th- I think you kind of have to like him. But the best part of this whole situation, and certainly you never root for an injury, I'm, I'm kind of an RG3 guy, as a RG3 strictly as a football player. I just kind of wanted to see how that was going to work out this season, and it kind of sucks that we're already being robbed of it. But the best part of the whole situation is the Josh McCown helicopter fumble vine. Oh, yeah. It's like reemerged on Twitter. Right. I probably rewatched it a good you know 50 to 100 times this week. Is it set to Return of the Mac? Is that what they... Uh, I don't know. I know. I'm actually watching it right now as we speak, and the sound is off. It's on. Yeah, it's on mute. You don't need sound. Unfortunately, it's not about the sound. It's on mute. I'm going to take the Browns with the points, but I do think the Ravens win. I think this game actually has more offense than the over/under expects, though. Too. I'm not sure the defenses are actually that mm. good. I think Cleveland can make some big plays. We saw Terrell Pryor catch a long catch uh, from. Uh, Robert Griffin last week. I don't know if he gets as many targets downfield with McCallum, but maybe a guy that can catch the ball near the line of scrimmage and then mm-hmm. make a few guys miss. I think he'll contribute. Just not enough to actually use him outside are, of the Are you worried about leagues. Corey Coleman at all? Does the quarterback situation even matter for him? No, I, I think it hurts Pryor more than it hurts Coleman. I think the, yeah. the problem for Corey Coleman is that once Josh Gordon comes back, they're going to force feed Josh Gordon. Mm-hmm. I think Hugh Jackson knows that's the best chance the Browns have of actually winning some games uh, as they get Gordon back in week five. But yeah, I'm, I'm taking the Browns with the points, but I think the Ravens come out as the winner if you're going like a straight up pick em league. And Gary Barnage should be back this week as far as his production goes. I'll be using him in place of Gronk potentially if Gronk ends up sitting again on Sunday. Titans visiting the Lions. Lions favored by six. I think that's kind of a big number for the Lions to uh, to cover. People are on the Lions now all of a sudden. I, the win over the Colts, I guess, will we'll do that. But the Colts aren't very good either, to be honest. The Titans might be just as good as the Colts. I mean, that wouldn't surprise me at the end of the season. Looking at the Lions, though, if you look at the implied score, 27-21. It's one of the bigger offensive outputs of the week. Are you dialing back the expectations for the running backs? Because Tennessee bottled up Adrian Peterson last week. Maybe they had to sell out to do it. I just wonder if they might control things in a way again this week where the line of scrimmage is something that they can they control and ultimately force the Lions to air it out 40 times again with Matthew Stafford. 
I don't know if they want to do that, though. I mean, that worked out pretty well for Detroit with Stafford airing it out. And then he's been so up and down in those type of games over his career. But if you're Tennessee, I don't, after seeing what he was able to do in week one, I, I don't know if you can afford to, to pack the box like they did against AP last week. That was such a unique situation, you know, with the, the Minnesota quarterbacks with Bridgewater going down, Sean Hill being thrust into that, the, the kind of specter, I guess, of of Sam Bradford and hanging over that team. So, you know, obviously Minnesota was able to pull that game out with their defense. I, I really don't know if Tennessee's game plan worked. It's like, yeah, you shut down Adrian Peterson, but you still lost the game. So, yeah, I don't expect them to sell out completely to stop Amir Abdullah. I mean, I, this isn't really a Titans defense that scares me at all. Maybe it's actually a decent spot for Abdullah if the philosophy right. changes because they'll try to limit some of the options in the mm-hmm. passing game. But ultimately, I, I like most of the offensive players here. The question is, do you use any of the non-Tajay Sharp receivers? Like, Rashard Matthews was pretty quiet in week one. Do you think he gets on track this week after a disappointing opener? Not really. I mean, that was maybe the most disheartening opener for any team. I mean, we saw a lot of bad football. I think the the L.A. Rams debut was about as bad as it gets. But relative to expectations, you know, the way that Marcus Mariota was able to close last season, I think it was really disappointing what we saw from the Titans offense. And not overly surprising, I guess, when you look at this personnel. I mean, we've talked throughout the preseason about there's just not a number one receiver in this offense. And I guess now it is Tajay Sharp, but even he, to me, is more, he's closer to what Stephon Diggs was for Minnesota last season, kind of a number one by default. Uh, beyond that, I mean, this was really nothing from Rashard Matthews. Three catches, 26 yards. Andre Johnson, who I had no idea was even on the Titans, caught three passes. Harry Douglas caught two. I mean, I think if you have Delaney Walker, I still like him quite a bit. If you have Tajay Sharp, I like him. But to me right now, this is not an offense where you can trust any more than those two guys. I can't help but wonder if in GPPs this week, if you go like Mariota, Tajay Sharp, and Delaney Walker, and then spend up on top running backs like Zeke Elliott, CJ Anderson, uh, go with another elite receiver in the in the second spot, and then try to go like mid-range for the last spot, if that could actually be a good GPP strategy, because mm. the Lions' defense to me is very unproven. I like right. Mariota's skill set. I'm not crazy about Rashard Matthews. I think you do go tight end receiver instead of receiver receiver right. if you're really trying to hit the home run in a big GPP. Right. I mean, the Lions were one of the big surprise winners, I think, in week one. But even in winning that game, they gave up, what, four touchdowns to Andrew Luck? I mean, the Colts were not really being stopped at all. It was more so just Detroit outscoring them. So, I mean, I, I don't think the, neither of these defenses are anything to fear. I mean, Sean Hill put up 25 points. Uh, against this Tennessee team and obviously the defense had a lot to do with that and Detroit's defense like you said unproven as well but when it comes down to the receiving core I'm still starting Tajay Sharp I guess over maybe a, a mediocre number two receiver on a better team just because he you know, he's going to get that target load uh, 11 targets in week one for Sharp but beyond that it's pretty barren probably to my detriment I'm going to take the Titans with the points I think getting six they can keep it close don't know if they win outright. I, I don't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't predict them to win outright, but I think they're a better team than anyone wants to give mm-hmm. them credit for. I think the the bottom teams of the AFC South last year actually improved. It's one so of those divisions. Like I said, that it's it, America's division. It, it, it is becoming America's division. I think you're you're dead on with that. Uh, Chiefs on the road in Houston. Texans favored by two and a half in this one. I think the Texans are a little better than the Chiefs. I think that's a good I don't line. Know if they are, man, it's a tough line. I, I think. Houston's defense is better than Kansas City's defense. I think Kansas City's offense is a tick better than Houston's offense. So it's a really nice matchup. Maybe two teams that meet at some point 
in the postseason. The implied score, 23-20 in this one. I think a lot of the Texans' success this year is going to hinge on the health of J.J. Watt. If Watt's healthy, that defense stays among the league's better units. If Watt misses some time, has a setback of any kind, that changes things quite a bit. I'm not expecting to see Jamal Charles. He hasn't been ruled out, so it's entirely possible that he's out there. But Spencer Ware showed last week he can handle the workload. Charles still is not a year removed from suffering that ACL tear, so the Chiefs have no incentive to push him back out there too quickly. And even if they do put him out there in Week 2, I think it would be a timeshare favoring Spencer Ware. Yeah, if he plays in Week 2, what does he get, 10 snaps maximum? I don't see why you would – I shouldn't say snaps, maybe 10 touches Ten touches, maximum. yeah. yeah. That, that's, the, that's the ceiling for his first game right. back I mean, if whenever you're considering, that is. You know, even if you spend a high pick on him and he ends up being active for this game, you can't have him in your lineup. So what this will be to me is a good test of where Houston's run defense is at. Like they shut down Jeremy Langford last week. Langford got volume, which I think bodes well for Langford in the coming weeks. At the same time, I just think Kansas City can run the ball at will when things are clicking. And I think mm-hmm. that's going to be the big challenge for that Houston front. We'll see if they're able to slow down where in company in this matchup. I think some people are excited about Alex Smith after the big comeback overtime win last week. I would not plug him in this week as a QB2 that you kind of start because of the matchups. Because KC, even though they had to rally to beat San Diego, their their bread and butter is getting a lead and protecting it, running the ball, as opposed to letting Alex Smith air it out mm-hmm. like as much as he did last week. Like that could be last week could be the cur- the, the season high in attempts for Alex Smith. I think it was his career. Right. High. They're not going to fall behind like that again. No, I I don't expect that to happen. I don't think Houston boat races anybody right. with that offense. Uh, Will Fuller though, what, what's your interest level in Will Fuller after how he was utilized? In week one, and thinking about how much attention DeAndre Hopkins will pull away from that side of the field. No, I mean, if you're a Will Fuller owner, uh, which I think I am only in one or two leagues, you got to be pretty thrilled with this, right? I mean, a guy who is a first round pick, the expectations are high, but I think he was still considered relatively raw, you know, compared to some of these other first and early second round receivers, kind of more of a speed down the field type of guy. And that's really exactly how he was used, I guess, uh, in week one. And I think. Maybe he does become more of just a deep ball guy as a rookie, but if that's going to result in you know seven, eight touchdowns by the end of the season, I don't think you can be disappointed with that. I mean, he was basically a borderline undrafted commodity in a lot of standard leagues. Yeah, like 12-teamers, he was a little bit fringy depending right. on the competitiveness of the league. I mean, mm-hmm. like 12-team home leagues, as we'd call them. Will Fuller's the kind of guy that passes through under the radar. Now, i I, I got to decide, am I going Texans or am I going Chiefs? I think... Chiefs. I think... I think I want to go Houston. I think we're split on this one. I think Houston okay. can cover the two and a half. I think it's going to be one of the better games, even if it's not a high-scoring game, one of the more uh, close games we see throughout this week. Dolphins-Patriots happening in New England. They get three in a row at home before they get Tom Brady back, so that lines up very well it's a little suspicious, for Jimmy think. Garoppolo. Uh, yeah, it's, it's funny. The league that hates pretty the Patriots rare to play loves three, the Patriots. It's pretty rare in the NFL to play three on the road or three at home in a row at any point in the season. Yeah, I mean, you'd rather have three at home late if possible, I guess. In this scenario, though, maybe not. Could be working against the Patriots in a typical year, but working for them given the state of Tom Brady still having three games left in that suspension. Here's the question for me in this game. Patriots are favored by six and a half. Over-under is 43. It gives you a 25-18 projected score. Patriots coming out on top, of course. Dolphins, their defense, like, could be good based on what we saw in Seattle last week. They really contained Russell Wilson for the most part. Didn't let that running game get a lot going. I mean, if this game stays under, the Dolphins are going to hang around. If they get into a shootout, I feel like New England's defense is good enough to help them get that separation. I mean, New England's defense is something we don't spend a lot of time talking about, 
that's a big part of why they're able to win last week in Arizona. Other than Larry Fitzgerald, they just didn't let that passing game pick them apart. It's never it's never a dominant defense. Like you said, you never end up talking about this defense in the same vein as a Carolina last season or Seattle or a Denver, but it, it they always are, you know, it's never a liability I guess for New England and that's probably why they don't get quite enough credit, but yeah, I'm not with you. I think if this game I mean, what did Miami score last week? 10 points against a good Seattle defense, but you know, you're, I think you're not you're going to have to do you know considerably better on the offensive end uh, to to beat this Patriots team even with Garoppolo. I think he's more than just a game manager. I, I think he's been groomed before. I mean, this isn't his first action, uh, you know, coming in as a rookie or anything like that. So six and a half to me is maybe a little bit high. It certainly makes you think if you're playing this one against the spread. But I'm pretty I'm pretty confident the Patriots winning it outright. I think I would take the Patriots giving up the points, though, too. I think Belichick is still salty about the loss to the Dolphins at the end of last season. Uh, I think the defense is going to make some big plays in this one. Until until Ryan Tannehill shows me that he can actually take a step forward, I'm going to assume more of the same. And with that, you, get the also, you also get the possibility of Gronk coming back. It mm-hmm. feels like Gronk's going to play. The only thing about Gronk that makes it sort of tricky is that the Patriots have a Thursday game in week three. So if they decide to rest him because of the short week coming up, just to give him extra time, I think he sits out this yeah. game and week three, and then we see him finally come back in week four. But given that he was back on the practice field earlier in the week, I think that bodes well for his chances of actually being out there. I think that really just adds one more layer to that Patriots offense, which really didn't look terrible no. against the good Arizona defense. I mean, I think Jimmy it was Garoppolo, a conservative game plan, too. It, it was a game plan that fit the personnel, which is something New England does as well as anybody. And Garoppolo just wasn't making critical mistakes. Made a few mm-hmm. mistakes. There was room for improvement. He said as much in his post-game interview, but it just seemed like he played within himself, and that's something that gives the Patriots a really good chance to win. I mean, right. LeGarrette Blunt's probably going to see 17 to 20 carries again. I don't think that part of the game plan changes much. Might be tough sledding against that Miami front, but I, I kind of like what New England has done. We saw the Chris Hogan TD last week. I think Hogan's a good complimentary piece behind Julian Edelman. Uh, they didn't use Danny Amendola as much as I thought. We saw a little more Malcolm Mitchell than expected, especially with Mitchell coming off that injury in the preseason. But I think New England... Yeah, I mean, they're really good, even without Brady. Right. I mean, the strength for Miami is supposed to be this downfield passing game and, you know, 16 of 29 for Ryan Tannehill. Maybe but maybe things do change. If Kenny Stills brings in, you know, that long, wide open touchdown that he drops, maybe they beat Seattle. Maybe maybe we're talking about them in a completely different light. But Devontae Parker didn't even play last week. We don't know if he's going to play this week. It was basically the Jarvis Landry show. I mean, 10 targets for him. Arian Foster, second on the team with five targets. They they basically were not able to move the ball downfield in chunks whatsoever. And if you can't do that against New England, I don't see how you're going to keep this close. I'm really worried about Devontae Parker not playing in this one, too. I think that's the other angle. Like, if we find out he's going to play, that might lead me to take the Dolphins at the points. But as of Mm -hmm. right now, if I'm expecting Gronk to be in and Parker to be out, I'll take the Patriots and give up the six and a half. Perhaps the highest scoring game of the week, Saints and Giants. Uh, Giants favored by four and a half, over under 52 and a half. So we're looking at like Giants 28, Saints 24. The masses are going to flock to Willie Sneed in season long and in DFS after his impressive week one showing. I kind of like the Giants defense this year. I've talked about that for the last couple of weeks. The pass rush has improved. The secondary is going to be good. They weren't really tested by the Cowboys in week one. This will be a great test for them, even though they're getting the Saints in New York as opposed to having to go into the Dome and play them where the offense tends to run a bit more smoothly. 
I think this will give us a good gauge as to whether or not the Giants defense has significantly improved or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And the Saints are one of those teams that, you know, I'm certainly targeting in fantasy every week. And that's kind of been the case for the last five weeks. I mean, do you buy the Willie Sneed hype? 4.6 yards per route run in week one. Pretty, pretty impressive number. I I think with Sneed, he was very efficient last year, but he's one of those players that when the Saints are at home and most of the time it's going to be a shootout scenario, I like him there. On the road, I want to be a little more careful because Drew Brees, as we've seen over the last few years, doesn't produce at the same rate away from the Dome as he does in the Dome. So I kind of think the Giants win this by more than four and a half. I think this is one that maybe they win by six or seven. Mm -hmm. I'll give up the four and a half because I don't trust the Saints on the road. Their defense is bad. I know there's a lot of criticism right now about Ben McAdoo and some of the play calling for the Giants. I think they can iron that out this week and take advantage of a pretty bad Saints defense. Yeah, I think we're going to see more downfield attempts. I mean, Beckham only eight targets in week one. I think that probably goes way up against the Saints defense. Uh, That was torched pretty good by Amari Cooper last week. So, I mean, if if Amari Cooper can put up the numbers that he did, um, I mean, Beckham almost has to be your your number one ranked receiver, I think, heading into this week. Yeah, Beckham will be the chalky cash play in DFS, but he's going to cost you. He's going to be among the, the top guys on every single site as you'd expect as a top three receiver in this matchup, but it might be worth paying up for him if you can find enough value to get the salary relief necessary uh, in your leagues. Michael Thomas last week, quietly six for six in opportunities. This is part of the reason why I'm not just all in on Willie Sneed. Mm-hmm. Like I've got Sneed in the Stopa League. Sneed versus Travis Benjamin is going to be a tough call for me like every single week, especially with Keenan Allen out. But Michael Thomas, six for six in target chances last week. He's the big receiver they need in the red yep. zone. So I just have to wonder if in close, especially he's the kind of guy that chips away at the value of Sneed some weeks. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Willie Sneed's not going to go nine for nine, you know, catching catching all nine of his targets as he did in week one. And to be fair, Thomas probably won't go six for six either. But yeah, I think Sneed's the guy that they probably use more in between the 20s. You get down in that red zone. Um, you know, Sneed's certainly not the, the physical red zone target, a guy who can kind of box cornerbacks out like Michael Thomas can. Bengals, Steelers uh, going down, also part of the early slate. Steelers favored by three and a half. 48 and a half is your over-under. Gives you like a Steelers 26, Bengals 22 sort of outcome Sounds about right if this one's in cincinnati i probably lean that way you know it's one of those games they might just be the yeah they might split the series where yeah. home team just comes out both games are close these teams play each other very very tight it seems and i look at the steelers and their game plan with antonio brown last week looked perfect it just looked like one of those game plans that was built around him d'angelo williams looked great against washington Cincinnati's defense looked pretty good against the Jets. Ryan Fitzpatrick's YPA was bad last week. Brandon Marshall was held in check. So I I wonder what kind of game plan they can scheme up defensively to try to slow Antonio Brown and company down. But I think the Steelers come out on top. I'd give up the three and a half. This was one of the hardest games to pick against the spread for me this week. But I think both offenses can be good. I know Gio Bernard was a disappointment in week one. I think the Bengals running game can actually get something going against Pittsburgh because their success in stopping the run last week, to me, was rooted in Matt Jones being terrible more so than the run defense in Pittsburgh being very good. Yeah, I mean, Washington was able to move the ball pretty well against this Pittsburgh defense. I mean, there were some pretty egregious throws by Kirk Cousins that killed a couple drives. I mean, this, the, the final score, 38-16, I think is a lot worse than this game was. I mean, it, Washington was still very, very much in this game, you know, entering the fourth quarter uh, before Pittsburgh was really able to put it away. But I mean, Kirk Cousins, 30 of 43 in that game, um, you know, the 22 point deficit 
wasn't quite as bad as it looks. But like you said, this team could not run the ball. And, and to be fair, they were trailing for most of the game, and they only ran it 12 times as a team, but got away from it, I thought, a little bit too early and asked Kirk Cousins to do a little bit too much. Yeah, you, you never want to ask Kirk Cousins to <laughs> no. do too much. That is a recipe for disaster. You're staring at your weekly fantasy opponent, and you're thinking to yourself, I would love to challenge just one of his players, not his entire team, but your fantasy sports service doesn't allow you to do that. Well, now you can on the all-new No Halftime app. The No Halftime app allows you to create individual challenges using players or teams. For example, you can pit Odell Beckham versus Antonio Brown, Cam Newton versus Aaron Rodgers, or even Ezekiel Elliott versus Todd Gurley. Creating a challenge takes seconds, and accepting challenges is even easier. No Halftime challenges can be private or public and created for the NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL, PGA, and other sports. Visit NoHalftime.com for more information and to download the No Halftime app for your iPhone or Android device. Use the promo code ROTOFF16 and receive a 100% bonus up to $25. Real money and fantasy supremacy awaits you. No Halftime, where the fantasy sports season never takes a break. Join today and get started. Last of the early afternoon games, Cowboys and Redskins, 45 and a half is the over-under. Washington, a two and a half point favorite in this one. It gives you about a 24-21 implied score. Over-under, seven and a half targets for Des Bryant in the game plan this week. I think over. I think they're going to almost have to force feed him after week one. I think Des is probably toward the top of the list of receivers who will go to an offensive coordinator and make sure that they're in the game plan. Well, um, if they're not using Josh Norman more effectively than they did on Monday night, especially yeah. like there's nothing to fear by no. throwing to Dez. Well, I don't think Dez is scared of Josh that. Norman either. No, not at all. And I think Dez is the kind of player that you don't, you'd never want to sit from a fantasy standpoint, as long as he's healthy either. Yeah. I, I think they have to realize that the game plan last week was way too conservative, even it for Dak worked, Prescott though. in his first game. Well, that's, that's the scary thing, right? Like they, they still hung around, which makes you wonder if for one more week right. they could somehow do this wrong. But I think they will get this right. They'll give Dak some opportunities to throw it Dez's way. He had that TD catch that was overturned, which would have changed the complexion even with the low target volume in week one. If he yep. scores there, we're not as worried about Dez as we are today based on how he was used otherwise. I think that changes. I'll go over on the seven and a half targets. I think Ezekiel Elliott's going to go crazy, much like D'Angelo Williams did on Monday night. Washington, to me, is a team that's not very good up front. At least they have to prove they're going to be good up front. So Zeke's going to get volume. I think he also catches some passes this week, too. The Cole Beasley leeches, as I want to call them, they're going to be sad because the target volume... Like, he's the guy that's going to lose first. Like, Jason Witten, I think, is still going to be a security blanket. Beasley still will be involved, but to a much lesser extent. Like, four to six targets for Beasley seems like a more reasonable expectation, with the bulk of what he was getting last week being some targets that now go to Dez. At least, right. if any sort of logic is happening with the thought process in the offensive game plan this week for Dallas. I like the over in this one, though. I think the 45 and a half is a bit low. Uh, and Washington, their offense will be better, I think, at converting and finishing drives this week than they were in the opener. That's a big part of it for me. I think Washington does win this game. I think they do win it by more than two and a half, though, because I think the concern is that as you open things up, Dak is going to make a few mistakes. He didn't turn it over last week. I think they're going to open it up. I think they're going to play a better game as far as how they run the offense, but I think they're still going to lose because he will make some mistakes, maybe taking mm-hmm. shots downfield or forcing a few extra balls into Dez. I mean, is he going to throw the ball 45 times again, though? No, no. I, I, th- I think he throws I mean, it like 33 to 35 times at, right. at most. Right, but with, you know, with 
half the targets for Cole Beasley, which, you know, so many of those are just, you know, over the middle, four yards down the field kind of slants. Um, yeah, I mean, I think they have to go downfield more than they did. I mean, you look, they, they only had one pass play over 20 yards in that game in, in week one. And I think that was kind of the ultimate peril. I mean, if you're going to have your quarterback throwing 45 times and, you know, of, of the 25 completions, 24 of them are, you know, within 20 yards, I think that's, that's a big issue for the offense. And, and I think Ezekiel Elliott's not going to average two and a half yards per carry against this Washington defense. I would guess that Zeke doesn't average two and a half yards per carry or less in a game again this no. season. That, that'll be the, the lowest average we see from him. I mean, does it year. worry you that Alfred Morris was more effective on only seven carries, you know, five yards per carry for him compared to two and a half for Zeke? Is it a small enough sample? And just considering the investment that they have in Ezekiel Elliott? I don't think it's anything you have to worry about at this point. I think the I Giants think so, sold yeah. out to stop the run. And you know, Morris is a good player that people overlook. I think... They may, I mean, one thing they may do, one other way they could really screw Dez is if they just go really over the top at the running game to the point where Zeke gets 25 carries again, but then like Morris gets 12. Like they just mm-hmm. shift the balance to 65-35 run versus pass. And if that happens, I think Alfred Morris could actually be like a useful deep league flex option too. Right. You know he's going to be running with a vengeance in this game. And this is the revenge game right. for Alfred Morris. That should be the main narrative that they're talking about on Sunday with this game. Alfred Morris revenge game. That, that is what it's come to on the Rotowire football podcast. But, I mean, if, if you're Washington, do you want to force Ezekiel Elliott to beat you, or do you want to force Dak Prescott to beat you? To me, it's got to be Dak. Yeah, you sell it to stop the right. run and make Dak beat you over the top. But I, I, think, I think they can't do it like Five that. Five yards of completion last week. If you, I think you'll live with that. Yeah, you can let them get away with that if you're if you're Washington. Starting with the late games, we'll go to Tampa Bay at Arizona. Cards seven point favorites in this one. Implied score roughly twenty eight twenty one favoring the Cards. Really looking forward to this game because I think Tampa Bay is one of those teams that are on the rise. Are there any players in this matchup that you really don't like? Because the one that stood out to me was John Brown. I felt like the Patriots did a good job of just taking away the deep ball. John Brown, Michael Floyd, both pretty quiet last week, and I think. If you're a John Brown owner, you're looking at those alternatives on your bench for this week because I don't know if he's completely out of the woods after the concussion issues. He had that setback during the preseason where he missed additional time. I think his role in the offense could be somewhat slow to grow, uh, similar to the way they, they took a few weeks to get Michael Floyd fully involved last year when Floyd was coming off the dislocated fingers. Yeah, I, I think you know, what Larry Fitzgerald did kind of overshadowed that and and bailed the Cardinals out I guess in some ways even in a loss but yeah I mean John Brown just four targets in that game one catch for eight yards you know about as discouraging as of a showing as it gets but I wanted to ask you about Fitzgerald I mean it it, is a game like that in week one going to kind of artificially inflate his value for the next couple weeks probably but I think he's in that point where you would use him in PPR leagues every week anyway I think the question is how much do you go after him in DFS now compared to your interest level even a week ago. I mean, I think with Fitzgerald, he's never been a burner, but he's always fast enough to make big plays. He's he's big receiver, of course. He's physical, so there's every attribute you want except for that top-end speed, and he overcomes the top-end speed with the quality of his routes. And he's one of those players where it was so easy to write him off because he had that lull a few years back with Lindley, Cobb, John Skelton, some of the worst quarterbacks we've really ever seen start series of games in the NFL and I think because of that everybody's been waiting for that big drop to come I don't think it's there I think Fitzgerald's one of those players who's going to be productive for a mm-hmm. few more seasons and Sunday night was just a showcase of that 
Yeah, exactly. I, I think just the way he prepares and the way he doesn't rely really on you know speed or any any one real trait, I guess, even athleticism. I mean, at his peak, he was one of the more athletic receivers in the NFL, but I think he's just so solid across the board that it, it kind of will enable him to, to keep this up as he ages, uh, a la an Anquan Bolden, I guess, to, to bring up a former teammate. But uh, I mean, were you satisfied with how David Johnson was used in this game? I think he, you know, he had the one long run that, that obviously boosted uh, his fantasy output. But other than that, I thought New England did a pretty good job of containing him. Yeah, Johnson, I think, looked pretty good overall, given how New England was defending and like trying to take away the, the big play, of course. But I, I like the usage pattern because Chris Johnson was, was one barely seen. That may change slightly this week, but not enough to where I'm concerned at all about David Johnson. I had some concerns coming into the season that Bruce Arians would look at it and say, hey, I want to keep David Johnson as healthy as possible throughout the season. I want to give him 12 carries and four or five catches and use Chris Johnson for seven or eight carries a game. I don't think we're going to see that very often. I'm taking the Bucks with the seven points, though. I think this is a really good Tampa Bay team. Maybe I'm a closet Bucks fan and don't even realize it yet. Uh, moving on to the Rams-Seahawks game. No line available right now because of the concerns uh, about Russell Wilson's ankle, though he practiced yesterday on Wednesday so he should be fine I mean probably just the case where he's not going to run that much at least no design runs probably going to stay in the pocket as much as he possibly can we're going to see Thomas Rawls starting at running back which according to Pete Carroll you know the Kristen Michael start was more of just a reward for Michael putting in more work this offseason and throughout the preseason which bodes well for his chances of being the guy if Rawls gets hurt but with Rawls starting again in this matchup do you expect him to see 18 to 20 carries with relative ease this week I think so because of the Russell Wilson injury. And even if he does play, I don't think he's going to be at 100%. And that does worry me a little bit. I mean, when this is a team that lost both games uh, to the then St. Louis Rams last season, when they played on the road against the Rams, Russell Wilson was sacked six times in that game. And that was when he had full mobility. So that does worry me a little bit. I mean, the St. Louis or the Los Angeles, I should say, front four did not look great. Didn't get much of a push uh, against San Francisco on Monday night, but I think they have a bounce back game. And I think this is kind of a, a sleeper upset pick, I guess, uh, for week two. And with the way that LA played in week one, especially offensively, it's kind of hard to, to make that leap, but they, they kind of seem to have Seattle's number over these last two, three years. Yeah. I mean, Seattle, they, they do seem like they could have a letdown. They didn't play that well against Miami and Jeff Fisher, like his hallmark to me is that, when you don't expect his team to do anything, that's when they show up and either pull an upset or at least scare a good team. Right. This seems like the perfect trap game. Maybe it's too obvious, but... Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. The, the Rams' offense was so bad. It's hard to imagine them moving but, the ball against Seattle if they couldn't do it against San Francisco. What's different about that team, though, from last year? Like, they did it last year. Todd Gurley yeah. averaged, like, 4.8 yards per carry in basically the exact right. same offense. In the one game against Seattle he played, they played him early in the year. Gurley didn't play in that one. I think he was, like, 18 carries, 80 was yards. Was that the Lance Kendricks game? The Lance Kendricks game, as it's it's come to be known. I think well, wasn't with Cam Chancellor wasn't playing in that game. Did they launch one down the sideline to Kendricks? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that happened. Mm-hmm. That definitely happened. I think Gurley actually can replicate that eighteen for eighty you know, yeah. score. I think Tavon Austin finds a way to get a long TD, whether it's on special teams or some like bubble screen that makes Case He's Keenum's always one tackle go away up. from breaking like two of those a game. Well, I think the defense shows up too. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the six sack performance against Russell Wilson last year when Wilson was healthy. I think they show up in a big way after getting embarrassed 
on national television. Well, Jeff Fisher is close night. to an extension, apparently, for some reason. How? So I think I just don't you know, that understand stability that. factor. You know, I think the team will really rally behind that. Whoever Jeff Fisher's agent is, he's the best. We should hire him. The, yeah. You and I should both hire Jeff Fisher's agent. I would love to. There should be a thirty for thirty about these, like Jeff Fisher's contract negotiations. Like, what leverage does he have at this point? None. None. Zero, None. zero leverage. He, is, he st- is he still working off the like 2000 Super Bowl runner-up card? Yeah, I guess. I mean, I, I, I was good in a JV tennis tournament in high school. Yeah. Can I parlay that into some kind of long-term right. extension? I think statute of limitations is apparently, what, 16 years and counting. Right. Uh, but, yeah, the, the Super Bowl runner-up, that happened mm-hmm. about the time I won that JV tournament. Right. So, you know, I got that going for You're me. Good to go. Uh, there's no line in this game. I expect the Seahawks to win. Just yep. Rams to scare them. Let's say 2016 Seahawks. Yeah, so I think maybe it could be lower than that. We'll see. When I mean, the numbers come out, I imagine Seattle will be favored by a decent margin. I don't think they'll cover. I think the Rams are going to find a way, so I'll take the Rams with the points, assuming they're getting seven or more. I think they'll keep it reasonably tight. Colts and Broncos, also one of the late afternoon games. Broncos favored by six. Expected to be a 26-20 game. I gotta ask in uh, leagues where you have Andrew Luck, are you sitting him? I mean, are you playing? I mean, if you have Marcus Mariota as a backup, I think you play right. Mariota against that's, the Lions. That's the big question. Is always you know you can't just automatically sit Andrew Luck or or any player when you talk about these you know start sit conversations. If you have a capable guy like Mariota or you know a, a Matt Ryan, uh, is, is Josh McCown good enough against no. the Ravens where you you do that? Or would uh, Flacco, so. if Flacco's available, would you pick up Flacco no, to well, throw him depends. out there against the Browns? It depends what you think of Andrew Luck. I mean, if Aaron Rodgers was going up against the Broncos, would you sit him at Denver? I would. I mean, look, last year they they yeah. slaughtered the Packers' offense. They made them look bad. And right. I know Andrew well, Luck had a good game against Denver last year, but that offensive line that was is a, a problem. That was a fluky game. Wasn't wasn't it raining? I think it was game. indoors in Indianapolis. Was like crazy. No, no, I don't. Was it? That was a weird game because I was watching that in Arizona, waiting for a flight, and there was a really odd conversation happening at the bar next to me. So I had fifty percent attention memory on the game. Of that game. The, the vivid memory would be uh, would be lovely <laughs> in this case. I have almost no, you're no right. memory it was, of that they, game. It was home against Denver. Yeah. I, I don't know what I was thinking of. That, that just completely flips the script for me. That it's in Denver this time again. The offensive line is going to be a problem. I think the Broncos can exploit that, and I think yeah. Andrew Luck's going to have some difficulty uh, producing yeah. as a result. So I, I, if I could get Flacco, like he's on the waiver wire in a twelve team league, and I drafted Probably Luck, is. and I don't have a backup, I would rather use Flacco against the Browns this yeah. week than luck against the Broncos. That's debatable, but I can see it. I would certainly rather go Flacco over McCown. On the Denver side, I love C.J. Anderson this week in, in DFS. I mean, obviously you're playing him in season long, no problem with that. Uh, you're really happy to have C.J. Anderson today based on the usage patterns against a good Carolina defense. Have you lowered the expectations for Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders based on what you saw from Trevor Simeon and the play calling in week one, or do you think that was really just the result of Carolina's defense still being one of the better units in the league? Yeah, I think I think it's the latter. I think it's the Carolina defense. I think it was a very conservative game plan. I mean, it it reminded me a little bit of the New England-Arizona game where it seemed like neither team had really fully unleashed you know, the full potential of those offenses. I think Denver's still kind of feeling out what they have in Trevor Simeon, but he, he looked good enough that I think – he didn't come out and you know complete 30 percent of his passes so i think it, it's too early to lower the expectations if we go you know we're, we're sitting here at week four and maybe these guys have two touchdowns between them and are yet to top 100 yards you know then you start worrying but a, a week one game against what i think is probably a top three defense in the nfl doesn't worry me too much 
Fair enough. I'm going to pick the Broncos to cover in this one, even though they're giving up six. I I, I don't like the Colts as a quality team at all, and I think a good well, I mean, defense like think, Denver can shred them. Carolina's a much better team than the Colts, right? I mean, this Denver team shut down the, the Panthers for the second straight time if you want to go back to the Super Bowl. So I'm with you on that. Especially in the second half. I mean, uh, yep. and the Panthers' offense looked good in, in the initial couple series overall, but then it kind of faded as the Denver defense mm-hmm. really seemed to settle in. Uh, Falcons on the road at Oakland, 49.5. Big over-under number here. Raiders 4.5-point favorites coming off a huge road win against the Saints. Raiders 27, Falcons 23 is your implied score. This is another soft landing spot for Derek Carr, who I did not like during draft season, but I would consider in DFS again this week. And if you have him in season long, if he goes off again, maybe you find the owner scrambling at quarterback and make some kind of deal because I just don't like the skill set there. Everything seemed to go right for him uh, last season. Mohamed Sanu was used more than I expected in week one, assuming his ankle is okay. I think he's a really tough call for your lineups as your wide receiver three or as a flex, given the expected high-scoring nature of this matchup. Yeah, I think this Raiders defense has improved, but didn't really show it all that much in week one. And, you know, granted, going up against a Saints team that whips the ball around just about as much as anybody. But, I mean, if you're looking at at this game at Oakland, four and a half points, I'm pretty comfortable taking Oakland here. Atlanta, I think to me, is is more of the 8-8 eight and eight team than the 5-1 and one start team uh, that they were at the beginning of 2015. I think it's basically Julio Jones, and that's about it for this offense. And I mean, if you're a Devontae Freeman owner, I think you, you have to be a little bit alarmed after week one. Definitely alarmed based on how much Tevin Coleman was used right. and that Coleman was more explosive as a pass catcher this week. But it's one game. You don't want to completely... Shut it like shut down Devontae Freeman, bench him or anything like that. I think you throw him out there in this game because it's gonna be high scoring. Both backs could be viable. I yeah. mean, that's totally possible in a matchup like this one. So if you're a Coleman owner, you're thinking about him as a flex. If you're a Devontae Freeman owner, he's still one of your what two. What if you own them both and you have to go with one? Gross. There's handcuffs um, out there. Yeah. Yeah, I, if you if you handcuffed him, I think you still play Freeman for this week. It's almost like NFL coaches don't care about where guys are being drafted in fantasy leagues. Yeah, why why can't they respect fantasy just a a little bit more? I I think Freeman is going to be interesting in a GPP because ownership rates will plummet after what happened last week. So I would use Freeman over Coleman if I'm going straight up in season long, but that gap has narrowed after what we saw in the opener. I'll take the Falcons with the points. I think the Raiders are going to win, but I think it's going to be like... 31-29 31-29 or some goofy game like that. It's just some yep. weird stuff's going to happen. It's gonna Del Rio close. might just start going for two after every touchdown now. Riverboat Jack. I guess, yeah. Has a nice goes, ring to goes, it, yeah. doesn't it? One more uh, late afternoon game. Jags, Chargers. I really buried this one. Actually, I'm just going in order yeah, based the on lead kick on the time. Podcast. Yeah, it's, uh, burying the lead. That's that's definitely what's happening right here. Chargers three point favorites. Vegas basically thinks these teams are equal. Forty seven is your over under. That gives you a twenty five twenty two Chargers win. Seems like a no respect situation for the Jags because their defense looked good to me. Aaron Rodgers was not so efficient too. last week. It's a good athletic defense, decent pass rush. Not a good pass rush. Not a bad pass rush. I think Green Although Bay's just, offensive line is pretty good, and Aaron Rodgers gets rid of the ball quickly enough where, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I was I, not I, impressed. For a pass, this is, that was supposed to be you know, the big improvement that this team made is you know, going out and getting Malik Jackson and drafting Yannick and Gouwe or however you pronounce that, getting Dante Fowler back. 
I mean, I, I love Gus Bradley after the game. I, I, he was asked, of course. You know, I think they did. Rogers even go down once. I think they. No, they didn't. They didn't get sacked. to Rogers at all. No, and it was never really close, even. And and Bradley was like, "Oh, that was the plan. You know, we we didn't want to pressure him. We were we were just trying to contain him." I'm like that was the plan. That was the, the he plan. actually said that was the plan. I mean, not word for word, but basically, yeah, it was. Oh, it was okay. like oh, that we was implied. Yeah, it was like we weren't trying to rush the passer. Like, no, how is how. It didn't work. So fire Gus Bradley immediately. I, if that's, I've been on that train for a while. That, that's but that's neither here nor there. Nor there. Um, you know, I, I think they can't do any worse from a pass rushing perspective. And I think Philip Rivers is the guy that you want to get pressure on. Um, but I mean, it it was tough to tell. I guess being at the game, it being kind of more engulfed in you know talking sauce to Packers fans and trying to lead first down chance that I, I wasn't keeping an extremely close eye, you know, on on that Jags D, but. I, th- I thought it was so much Aaron Rodgers' magic, I guess, that led to those touchdowns, uh, you know, more so than blown coverages by the Jags. Hey, they almost got to him on the TD pass to Adams. Yeah, well, what happened? <laughs> they had a handful, handful of the jersey. Yeah, I, well, and Rodgers somehow just wasn't even impacted by that at all. And, you know, in real time, it was tough to tell just how much he was hanging on him. But when you see that replay, I mean, he had like a... That's, that play was ridiculous. Right, and then it didn't, you know, you could take that defender out of there and Rodgers makes that exact same throw. I mean, unbelievable. There's, there's a couple times every season now where the Packers have a play, and there were two, the two Hail Marys last year. There was the long ball to Cobb that beat the Bears uh, to win the division a couple yep. seasons ago where the expletives just fly out of my living room. Like, because yep. in the moment, you're just blown away by what's happening. Like, I, I, I think Packer fans, as we've said before, are so ridiculously lucky to be watching Aaron Rodgers right after having right. several years of Brett Favre. I mean, it's just insane what what he can do. Uh, but looking at the Jags a little more closely, I mean, TJ Yeldon could see another heavy workload. He did not look cool. good outside of like one series. I don't think the Packers' run defense is great. Maybe it's improved. Maybe it's good. That was but rough. He was below two yards per carry. He was below one and a half yards per carry. I think he was at one point two. But I think it was 19 for 31 yards, if I'm, if I remember correctly. That not, I mean, that good. was pathetic, pathetic rushing effort. And obviously, I think having Chris Ivory back, I don't know if it's going to be this week. I would, I would assume probably not. Uh, once he gets back, I think that kind of evens things out. I mean, they were they were able at least in the preseason when they played them together to kind of get a nice little thunder and lightning combination, for lack of a better term. Um, so I, you know, I think come week three when Ivory's back on the field, that'll look a little bit better. But I was not impressed by, by TJ Yeldon. Like you said, this is a good Packers defense, but it's not that good of a Packers defense. No, definitely not. Now, the question is, what do you expect from Tyrell Williams and Dontrell Inman getting increased roles, of course, uh, with Keenan Allen down for the season? We're going to see a little more Travis Benjamin, and he had seven catches for yep. 32 yards, I think, last week. So he'll get some shots downfield. But you know, Tyrell Williams is kind of intriguing. A lot of size, a lot of speed. Inman's more familiar with the offense. Maybe they just run it more. Maybe they just use Melvin right. Gordon, I think Danny I like Woodhead Melvin more. Gordon more. I like Danny Woodhead more, and I certainly like Travis Benjamin more. I mean, I'm not. What are people paying for Tyrell Williams and Fab? I mean, it's going to be ridiculous numbers in the NFFC Classic, 14 team league, high stakes league. It was 68 percent of the budget. It was like 687 dollars. Well, in that league, it's so deep. Yeah, benches are like 10 players deep, 14 teams. If you see anything you like, you just spend the Fab because. You, you get one or two shots at a player, and right. if you happen to hit early in the year, the payoff in a league that size can be pretty big. Now, I'd go probably 
10 to 15% maybe if I like Tyrell Williams. And even then, it's kind of like, do I need a receiver? Right. If you get him, great. If you don't, it's not the end of the world. If you're desperate, you can maybe pay more. But if you're not, I, I think 10 to 15% makes a lot of sense. And Inman might just be the sneaky, cheap play. I mean, mm-hmm. he's he's the guy that Rivers is more familiar with. But I think we will see more of the running game. They were more efficient on the ground, both backs, than they were last season in week one against Kansas City. I think that bodes well for both players. See a lot of checkdowns with Danny yeah. Woodhead in the game plan this right. week so as right. well. Chargers minus three. What's the pick? <sighs> Jags taking the Jags to points. I I don't think the Jags are bad. Like I, I think last the week Jags was are proof bad, of that. But they're not that bad. They held Aaron Rodgers under six yards per attempt last week. A good they? team finishes off that game. No, a great team does. A good team doesn't. Green Bay is really yeah. good, man. They might be. Green Bay is good. Might be one of the three best teams in the NFC still. Like they probably are. Pretty, oh, they're pretty easily one of the top NFC three teams sure, in the yeah. NFC. All right, fine. Well, I'm going Jags, obviously. That's a no-brainer. Uh, yeah, we, we, we'll lock it in for you every week. But a West Coast trip, yeah. Sunday night game, Packers-Vikings. Vikings, Vikings 2.5-point underdogs. 44 is the over-under. Gives you like a 24-21 Packers win, which kind of sounds about right based on how close these teams have been playing. Vikings breaking the seal on their new stadium. Maiden Voyage. I'm sure they have the stupid ship sound they're going to play all the time because mm-hmm. that's what the Vikings do. AP is going to be fine. I know that the Packers contained TJ Yeldon last week. And everyone thinks the Packers run defense is TJ good. TJ Baby AP Yeldon. Yeah, that's what they call him on, uh, on like at Alabama. That's what they were calling yep. him all the time. No predictable future value in keeping TJ Yeldon quiet. I don't, I don't know which quarterback starts. I don't think it matters for Minnesota. I think it's going to be more AP, 20 to 25 carries there. Do you think Minnesota holds serve and wins the first of their two matchups with the Packers this year? I don't think so. I think there's going to be, you know, there, there's going to be a palpable buzz with the new stadium opening up. You know, that that's maybe worth a, a quarter of a point in this game. But no, I mean, the quarterback situation to me is not. It doesn't matter who you start. I think if you're Green Bay and you're going up against Sean Hill, you love that matchup. Or if you're going up against Sam Bradford playing in his first game two weeks after a, a drastic trade, you know, halfway across the country, I think you like that too. So. You know, Rodgers isn't going to make the same kind of silly juvenile mistakes that Marcus Mariota made last week that really allowed Minnesota to win that game, and I think they needed him. Punk Marcus Mariota making okay, juvenile mistakes. Punk. Basically, like, just spray painting <laughs> on the wall behind the school. Aaron Rodgers, not a punk. <laughs> Marcus Mariota, confirmed punk. By the way, my interest in Devontae Adams is actually simmering again. He was on the field a lot in key situations, had the nice TD catch, but also had two more targets inside the 10. So not necessarily someone I'm picking up and using Devontae right away. Devontae Adams is back. Stash him away. There might be a point later yep. this season where you're plugging in Devontae Adams into your lineup and somehow feeling good about it. I'll take the Packers giving up the two yep. and a half. I think it's going to be a good close game. They win by like four. So there's that. Uh, Eagles-Bears. Bears three and a half, three point favorites, 42 and a half, so you're over under. Bears 23, Eagles 20. Not sure I'm buying into that. Eagles defense just might be good. And even if they're not, I think you I can stream know. them against Smoking Jay. Long live Jim Schwartz, terrible head coach, good coordinator, has the run through walls mentality you want in your D coordinator. Uh, Carson Wentz could impress again in this one because I think the Bears are a bottom five defense, even though they scared Houston early. I just don't see a lot of quality players on that side of the ball for them right now. So I'm not like Carson Wentz fanboy, like pick him up and use him for multiple weeks. But if you're desperate at quarterback or if you want to think about a GPP Hail Mary play, maybe there's something there with Carson Wentz this week. I'm banking on a Wentz regression, I guess, in week two. I'm not buying the, the, the hype necessarily. I think he's going to be a good player. I, I don't think he's going to be able to keep this up you know, week in and week out. But 
you really can't do a whole lot better than these matchups in weeks one and two. I mean, going up against Cleveland and then drawing a beat-up Bears defense. Uh, To their credit, I think they look better than expected for some of that game, at least, against Houston. But, I mean, this is probably the toss-up of the week to me and and one that really wouldn't surprise me going either way. I think I'm going to take the Bears at home to cover three. I'm taking the Eagles right now with the points, and I'm probably getting whipsawed by the Browns just being really bad and yeah. that kind of skewing my perception. You, got, you always got to remember the Browns are bad. But I'm buying into the Eagles' defense as significantly improved, something I mm-hmm. talked about with Mario Puig a couple weeks ago. And uh, the personnel is good. The pass rush is good. The Bears are going to find a way to, to screw this up. And maybe they squeak out a win, but I think they're going to do it by less than three if they do. So I'll take the Eagles with the points. It's going to wrap things up for today's episode of the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast, sponsored by NoHalftime.com. Tim and I are back with you on Friday. Sam Adams, we're constantly improving who we are, what we do, and how we brew. We may craft over 60 styles of beer, but it's Boston Lager that has captured the heart of America since 1984. With its deep amber color, caramel notes, and signature hop character, what better to have in your pint glass? Sam Adams, Boston Lager. Pursue better. Boston Beer Company, Boston Mass, safe responsibly. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.